Welcome everyone to another episode of Kiwi Talks. Today, my guest is the founder and director of LPL Studios, great gaming platform. Actually, it's the biggest in Australasia. And uh, I'm speaking to Duan Mutu. How are you doing, sir? Very good, man. Thanks, Heath, for uh, letting me come on and have a, uh, have a corridor today. So yeah, I greatly appreciate it, man. No worries, man. I've always wanted to get more gaming guests on. I feel that's, that's the big thing that we're tapping into now. You know, it was music, then it was film, but now gaming is really get going to a whole new level. Am I one of the first on here? Or am I the first gamer for you, generally speaking? Well, you're the third because I've had um, David, the Standing Fierce. Yeah, yeah, founder, cool, yeah. And uh, William Slingsby. Yep. Yep. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. So those are probably like the two the two gaming guys that I've had on. I'll obviously have more on. I think the hardest thing for me, and you'll probably be aware of this, is some gaming personalities, they're not really what I'd call extroverts or talkative no. people, you know? No. <laughs> no. You know, so it makes it a bit difficult because I'm thinking, uh, would this really be a good platform for you? You know, can you hold a conversation for an hour? Do you want to hold a conversation for an hour? You know? Yeah. I mean, look, that's the thing with, um, there is a lot of that in the industry. And I think um, overseas, you're starting to see that emergence of like, I guess, the new school kind of person. But you're right. Generally speaking, a lot of it is, you know, they're quite introverted. I mean, we do... Um, you know, at Let's Play Live, give or take four or five professional leagues. And it's really hard even then just to get them to send us a photo of themselves, right? And we want to do interviews like this remotely. And they're just, I guess it's the way they are, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, at least I'll talk and I'll talk for a long time. Yeah, yeah. well, that's that's good. I thought you would. So how, tell me how this all came about, man. Like LPL, how it all came together. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, so I think it's interesting and, you know, it's sort of twofold, right? So um, my corporate career, and, and so the first thing is like my first increment, you know, memories of gaming were like everyone, right? I grew up in the generation of playing spaces with my cousins, you know, it was like the hot thing for people that probably are a little bit younger if they listen to this, you know, it was a thing, right? Like you go down to the fish and chip shop after playing some sport and you would jam spaces and, and you know, or what we called it. it wasn't the spaces like Atari's or Street Fighter, it was Mortal Kombat and people would put the 20 cent piece on and you'd just jam, right? So, you know, I kind of had that and then also got the Sega Master System and that was sort of the game. And I'd say that's quite normal, right? Like I wasn't a hardcore gamer, I just kind of had grown up with that lens. And then my corporate career um, was twofold. I worked in action sports, like as in surfing, skating, and work for some of the big brands. Um, and I think that's important on, on, on the journey. And um, we'll get to that. But equally, I spent 10 years plus in video gaming from a publisher side. And I fell in that because somebody was like, hey, you know, you know, that young stuff, you know, like surfing and skating, you must know about sort of Nintendo. And it was like, literally like that. And I was like, you know, I've been in, I've been in the surf um, skate thing. I've sort of been repping and designing and doing a whole bunch of stuff. And I was like, this is um, really just something cool and different. And it was a Nintendo GameCube was launching, right? So I got in that early. And over 10 years, I, I worked on the publisher side, Disney, Warner, Activision, EA, the list went on. And it gave me a really good lens of the, the business of gaming, right? More so than the gaming of gaming. And so, um, and some people, and that's why I guess I'd probably come to it differently from some other guests because I came from it from what we call the publisher side rather than, you know, a pure gamer coming through the community. Um, but that was sort of the journey. Then I left and I started a TV channel called Garage TV, right? There was like a content play with action sports. And what I saw in that journey, which I think is really interesting, or to me anyway, is the youth 
always drive the next movement, right? Like you think about history, right? I'm sure it was like Elvis Presley. I wasn't that old, but you know, Elvis Presley yeah. and he's bad because he's trusting his pelvis and mums and dads are like, that dude is bad. And then all of a sudden rock and roll becomes normal. We saw it with NWA and it's like normal and hip hop's the biggest thing. And certainly action sports fell into that category. When I learned to surf years ago, it was still like a bad frowned upon thing. Um, and parents didn't like my mates that surfed and skated and listened to punk, but they liked me a bit more because I was kind of good at traditional sports. Um, and I saw that lens, right? And it grew as a movement and music, culture, arts, and now it's normal. And action sports is very similar. Uh, so esports is very similar in that trajectory, right? This big movement of underground stigmatized and look what's happening now it's built around music culture fashion and it's and it's moving that's why i always put those two together just from my lens from that background and so i'm, I'm making this um i'm making this action sports stuff i'd left gaming behind although i had some great relationships in the community because of my years in gaming and someone came up to me um and we won't mention names but it was from a um a very large broadcaster in, in new zealand called sky and they came to us and they said hey it's one of those serendipitous things again like hey um do you guys know e-gaming it's like well it's not e-gaming right but yeah okay yeah. what like yeah what are you talking about and they're like we want to do e-gaming we saw it come out of the us and we think we want to do live you know e-gaming on sky and it was like Okay, like, and crazy enough, they had no idea that I had a gaming background. They just thought we were like the young person doing like surfing and skating and, you know, that kind of lens. And, um, and, we, and we literally did, we we're like, okay, let's have a go. And we had the studio now with the cameras already set up and we went engaged with the community, right? Like we, we got all these people um, in which William Stingsby works with one of them. Like we got a lot of people come in that were League of Legends and we did something called the New Zealand Gaming Championship. And it was like this League of Legends event. And at the time, looking back, obviously we did it more of like, just you got to try those things in business right like, let's have a crack it wasn't meant to be a full-fledged business but we were the third territory in the world to do a linear esports event and that's like historic like that's so hard to do and of course behind the scenes is dudes like holding like tape you know internet's dangled you know like it was like like land land old school land stuff but what we learned really quickly was i always say to people you know you don't know what you don't know and certainly off that trajectory we built a business which would go on to get, um, you know, investment into it and build out Let's Play Live to, you know, build a multi-million dollar studio and become one of the leaders in um, Oceania of esports. But it starts with that kind of like serendipitous moment. You had someone who kind of had a studio. I kind of knew some people and we had the opportunity and then we just kept going. And and literally it was never, you know, you know, I love to sit here and go, you know, I really knew I saw esports coming. It, you know, that's not the case, man. It was like, it was, I, I literally knew gaming. I knew it was massive. I'd spent years in it and I had the opportunity that surrounded me on all those bits like you behind you, you got a beautiful studio and you need to have all those things to have made it work. And um, so I guess I'm thankful for that. And then obviously esports has boomed and, and, um, and that's how we came about. Wow. What a story. Yeah. What that's a, a crazy story. story. It almost sounds like everything just fell into place for you. Yeah. I mean, look, like it was, it was one of those things that you look back and like I said, I, I, like, I guess I understood some commercial realities to it. Um, you know, the one bit that was sort of probably not embraced as much as because we didn't really understand it. And maybe that's, there's been a legacy play on that is really understanding that there was already some really established communities that when you come from the other side and having not been in it, I look at like, and it's a sort of, I don't know, imagine a traditional sport, right? Like, you know, that, you know, lots of these people are playing touch rugby, for example, or basketball, and you guys come in and create the, 
NBL and you don't really know that there's also this underlying current of people and things. So you're kind of touching on some of it. And so I think, yeah, you're right. It was really like it kind of fell into place in one way, but on the flip side, it, it kind of, you know, went against the grain of people who had already been there before us. Right. You know, it's always, you know, I always talk about legacy and, and, um, history as I've just talked here. And so that's probably the one downside is if you had had my time again, looking back is the the business side and the journey was great because of those bits falling into place. But I think had you started originally, you probably would have gone and said, right, like let's have a real look at who's here already, right? Like who's, who are the players, who are the teams? Who are the, and, and, and it wasn't because I didn't want to, it was just, as you said, it was almost fell into place. And it was sort of one of those, like, well, you don't have much time. We've got to get it done in three weeks. Like you just got to go. And then it evolved, you know? For sure. So how, how's everything going with you guys in regards to COVID at the moment? Because I'd imagine that would have somewhat affected LPL. Yeah. Yeah, it did. I mean, look, you know, and, and you know, the first thing you got to say is, you know, and I know you've had some great business leaders on and obviously there's a lot of pain in the world, right? Like we know that um, and it affects everyone and it does affect esports. You know, we're, we're not able to have physical events. We're not allowed to have lands. We can't fly players in. So of course there's, you know, an effect but actually from a content delivery point of view, it's been next level, right? Like we've gone, our signups went, you know, over hundred percent up our viewership up by 150%. We've just done a, um, a large broadcast with, um, Ford out of the U S you know, so that kind of COVID expansion happened. Um, and equally, um, of course in New Zealand, historically, um, Esports got recognized as an NSO, right? So those things all came by because of the movement of, um, of COVID. And what I also really like to see is the acceleration of what we'd been working on for many years. Like we had done a lot of stuff with the NRL and the All Blacks with LPL. And everyone was like, you know, it's all like giggles and, and whatever. But of course, when we saw COVID and they weren't able to compete in their normal outlets, they were able to kind of embrace gaming um, and enjoy it. And I think fans enjoyed watching their stars that would be traditionally stars, whether it be motorsports, Scott McLaughlin, or NFL stars or NBA stars, because they all game. And this was just an ability for fans to jump in. And so LPL obviously benefited from reach and player base and people wanting to get involved. But I think as a wider industry, it was really good as well. Yes, because I imagine with a lot of those events, though, a lot of it is in person. Like I've seen on tournaments and so forth online, you've got people sitting next to each other. So when you're going more digital, you're probably more at risk of hackers. Um, I mean, look, that not really because no? you're able to, because the way it works, yeah, just, you know, the fundamentals is as a, as a tournament organizer, um, and this is obviously, you're right. I guess the first thing is you're right. Most people see credibility in the land environment, right? Like as in person to person yeah. and having them there. But esports is different where if you can't play rugby against one another, it's not really a credible thing, right? Whereas esports are able to play because you're on a server and you can control that server. So for us, simply put, LPR will set a game and we control that game in our studio in Auckland, for example, and people jump into that match in, in our studio digitally speaking so we can control who's in it put all the rules around it and that gives us a layer of protection um to make sure but of course that you know the, the small bit which you know we don't know no but um it isn't is very rare if it did is someone jumping in for that person and taking their their spot under their alias and their account but at this sort of level that we're talking at the pro level um you know it'll be very hard you know it's like me wanting to play rugby or something for the all blacks and someone <laughs> goes yeah you'd be rico Awana, you know you have a crack it's like yeah that's not gonna happen you know so there is levels to it yeah yeah 
It's actually really good that New Zealand has such a stable internet uh, speed. I think we're actually one of the fastest in terms of average internet speed in the world. So you guys don't really have much problem with lag, I'd imagine. No, so so we so you're right. Like one of the big things, and this is me at a holistic level too, is our internet in New Zealand's awesome. Like like we are, I think, ten times faster than Australia. Yeah, right? Australia's like that, that, is so terrible. Terrible. Yeah. And then and then of course other countries are terrible. So New Zealand's got this wickedly fast pipe, which obviously to build esports around and move content both out and players playing. You need good internet. So we have really fast internet, let's play live, like one gig unrestricted up and down, right? Like it's fast. Like it's one of the fastest in the country and a country that's really fast. So that's cool. But the whole thing is, this is why I kind of like, you know, to the government and, and, and the like, I'm like, we could build this great kind of little South Pacific esports hub and be like really legit at it because we have those capabilities and mm. we don't have to plumb it in because Korea became massive because of the infrastructure they built. And now obviously, Korea is the home of esports, and you know it's a national pastime. All because years ago they built the infrastructure underneath. Now the government in New Zealand doesn't look at it like that. You know, it's still kind of I know it's, it's frowned upon, but it's like that's not where they want to go. But they could, and obviously we understand that lots of good things would come out of that. So yeah, we have good internet. But to your point specific about lag, it's really interesting because actually the way gaming and professional gaming works is that you play on, I guess, a server and the server, no matter what, so even if I set my physical server in Auckland, the game itself is not my game per se. And you've got to be able to pick it up from where it sits within the region. And so these, they're region locked. And so most servers are within Oceania, which is why everyone plays an Oceania server. And for us to be able to play against the US, it's too slow for us to compete against them. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And it's particularly with uh, games like fighting games as well, where the yep with the ping and everything, even like a millisecond off can... You're out. So me and you right now, imagine like we're chatting, we should be able to both hit the button. If I slightly beat you here in New Zealand to New Zealand, then I'm going to get you. But obviously that's slowing down even by, you know, micro bits to the US, it's impossible. So you're actually up against it. It's like, you know, it's a lopsided playing field. So that's why it's not done that way. Um, but that's that's the latency issue that people talk about. Um, whereas, you know, something like when you spoke with Dave, those guys are um, primarily, you know, that's why they certainly it's all about land primary, right? Because it goes back to those old arcade days where they've got to be there. Whereas a lot of the other games we do, like, you know, your big ones like Dota and CSGO, that's absolutely fine to play remotely, but we can only play within our region. So we, so RPL provides tournaments across the ANZ region and into the Pacific for that reason. Yeah, but I'd imagine, so if you're doing land though, and you got asked to compete in a tournament, say in the US, it wouldn't be as much of a shift because no, you'd be able to adapt a lot easier because you're playing on land as opposed to... It. Yeah, nothing. As so opposed to playing literally. online, digitally, via yeah, a server. Absolutely. So that's why, you know, all the biggest tournaments in the world, it's always been like a lot of it's remote and then the big tournaments you fly together to compete, right? Because then it's, there is no issue. You're both in the same room with the same service set and um, and there can be no, no fallback. So, and, and you know, so outside of that, when you go to LAN, what's really interesting over the years, and, and I just say this, you know, um, not saying that I'm some oracle or whatever, but it's just like <laughs> every time, because it's so new, right? Like when LPL is going through it and we put these teams together to your point earlier about this kind of introverted nature, it's really interesting that very first tournament we talked about, that League of Legends, there were people who were the best in the region 
and they didn't even know each other. Like they, they, they knew them only by like almost like mythic kind of names. Like, Oh my gosh, that's, you know, shock or that's whoever. And, and it's because they never had that land environment, right? It just wasn't a thing going back six years. And we sort of really got it. It was a thing at a community level and certain levels, but it wasn't kind of where you're going to get them in front of a camera and TV and kind of put them in that environment. And then over the years, as we've developed out, you still see it. It's changed probably in the last couple of years where the best teams are really used to that environment, but you'd see them turn up on stages um, and they were, the cameras turn up and we've got like 10 cameras. It's going live to sky or channel seven and Aussie or whatever it is. And, and live on Twitch, we've got someone talking like you are now camera in their face. They've got to be ready for that environment. There's a crowd going, and it really, it's really debilitating, you know, like they just crip, they just fought, fold. So I've seen the best teams that have won the whole way through on land, oh, sorry, on online, turn up at land and lose just because they're so not used to that, that um, real land environment. So it's a real thing like that kind of going from online, converting to being in a physical environment. It absolutely plays, plays games with, with players. Do you think that'll ever be on par though? Do you think the digital space can ever match land or do you think that's just not possible depending on internet speeds? Look, I think it, I think it can, but there's something about just that. Like I think actually in real time, like competitively speaking, it kind of exists now, right? Like at the moment, no one can travel. So COVID is like, we're still seeing the world championships online. So I think apples for apples, everyone's like, it's super competitive. It's still the same thing, but People like, you know, like you go back to gladiators, you go to traditional sport, you go to music. Like there's something about like, if you think about even music, like you listen to a CD, it's perfectly rendered. It's good. And, but it's not like going to a concert, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, or, you sure. go, or like watching the NBA finals, which I was watching big basketball fan. It's like, you know, look at the replays, the shots, all those things. It's still not the same as going there live, you know, and hearing, hearing them on the, on the court. And so I think that it's more of a human element to it than it is about, the gameplay effect though it does affect players so prior to covid what was the balance in terms of how many people you'd be playing uh on your servers the lpl and uh, and how many people would be in the studio playing via lan yeah so so like what we do is we kind of will run a pro tournament so it looks right. like sports so we'll come out and say and, and we're literally in week two of our new season um so we basically come out and we pick the games we're going to do which are all your sort of staples so you know it's like dota csgo you know like a rocket league valorant the, the kind of big games and we come out and say we're going to run a you know a professional division it goes all the way down five divisions like sports we have these grassroots players who will never they just want they're doing it for different reasons they just want to kind of compete regularly like you would for a sport right you turn up show silly shoot a hoop or whatever um versus the best team so we have like eight teams in that competition and it's just like normal sport like over a 10-week period mean you know we'll match up and we'll play and so we normally um give or take some tournaments we'll have them in every week that's fly in team on team and we'd have us match up so it's five on five within our studio and we'll deliver that we've had 16 race car drivers digitally speaking so sim races in our studio every week um, right through to everything online until we have the final two teams that we'll bring across and put them in our studio or in, or in a theater to compete in the final. So it's a mix. But, you know, pre-COVID, that's sort of how we'd do it is um, give or take the game and the size of the audience. We might have, you know, it's always only ever um, 10 players at any given time or five on five. Mm. Uh, do you have audiences though? Yeah, so... 
in our studio, it's um, it's private, like it locked off, like it would be for like um, normal Sky or TVNZ. But we do have access to our theatre, which is inside Sky City Theatre, and that has seven hundred seats. And so we've had even Dave, I work with Dave. Um, we did a Tekken event with Dave at Standing Fish years ago. And we had the world's best, at the time, he was top two in the world, arguably the best player called Saint. He came down um, and we had all of um, Dave's Standing Fish, plus, you know, the community, other people, but ultimately it was the best Tekken players in the country. And Saint entered that tournament to be like Kelly Slater entering the surfing, you know, or something. And he was just like, it was awesome to see. And we had, you know, four or 500 people in that. In that. And we've done... Um, all sorts of games within that theater. So yeah, anywhere up to 700 people watching live in that theater environment with the built out stage and all the gaming rigs on the stage and, you know, build up big screen behind it and people just cheering and, and, um, and commentators live in the arena. That's cool. Have, yeah. you, have you ever tried to get a uh, big kind of media personalities on the, on the, on the gaming side, so say David Dallas, like he's a competitive yep. Street Fighter player. Israel Adesanya is a Call of Duty player. You yeah, know, like, hey, come come to the studio and oh, yeah, absolutely, stuff. yeah, man. Like we we've had we've worked with every, like you say everyone. I mean, you know, it sounds a bit far fetched, but certainly like on two fronts. So we've had like um, even in curtain raises back in those days, like when you know when you're talking about. Um, you know, um, NBA 2K finals, we had Tom Abercrombie take on um, Manu. Um, we've had the Warriors take on the Breakers. We had a sim race, which had like music and nipple stars and everyone racing on a, on Bathurst before the main event. So we've yeah. done all of that. And then in the studio, we've got, um, we've had everyone through from, you know, a lot of the All Black boys, like TJ, um, he's a massive gamer, so he travels with his kit. Um and so we've had most of them come through the studio in one way or the other. We've done stuff for the NRL, so all the Tongan team turn up. Like, we've had um, the Australian boys turn up, Kiwis. Um, so so a lot, yeah, pretty much. And then even just recently through COVID, we ran an event, which which was really cool, digitally, though, because we couldn't get in the, the studio. But we had, um, to your point about music, we had the Cora boys. We had Jai Fraser from 660. We had a couple of All Blacks. We had a couple of the Warriors. And they dropped into Fortnite, and we had fans versus – the the boys so um yeah we've we've, we've dealt with a lot of them because to your point That's like, so cool they love it they absolutely love it and we haven't had izzy like izzy's um i've been wanting to get izzy in there for a, for a while but he's obviously busy um but like david dallas used to be actually a game reviewer do you know that david dallas was an actual writer for um really gonna, you're probably shooting me. yeah so back I, in met, I, I did meet him once at a street fighter competition and i saw how good he was but i didn't know i didn't know he actually reviewed because i know he's a gamer, but, yeah, I didn't gamer. Know that he actually, but i didn't know that he actually reviewed games yeah so back back in the early days this is a story for some people out there they wouldn't know so so david dallas so the company i used to work for you know back in the original before kind of getting into the esport part selling video games working video games a publisher um dave worked for i'm gonna say um rip it up magazine like the old music magazine, yeah, rip it up. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and because I was like the marketing manager for a number of those games, you know, we'd, I had a really good relationship with all the, all the reviewers. And Dave Dallas was actually one of those cats who would give the game to, and, you know, the latest games would drop any games and he would review, right? Call of Duty, um, you know, et cetera. I mean, he had his preference, but Dave Dallas actually used to review um, games. That's a, so that's a true story. Did you tee that up or did he come to you and be like, hey, I want to review games? 
Well, yeah, I mean, it was like a, it was, I, I look, I, I don't know. It was either, it was sort of mutual in the sense of like, you'd come to me if you wanted games, you know what I mean? Like, cause we were like <laughs> yeah. marketing. So it was more like, I don't know who reached out to who in the sense, but equally wanted, there was, you know, back in, and you know, for again, the younger crew, this is like pre social media, right? It was only blogs. It was game planet. And it was yeah. like three or four publications, like rip it up real groovy. And they would write a little segment on, a game review, right? There's very few. Um, and so you kind of knew who they were and those would be on your list of like, get these 10 promo copies and be like, sweet one to game planet, you know, one to rip it up, one to real groovy, whatever. And, and of course, like I said, I'm not sure that he came to me specifically, but over that, over that journey, yeah, he used to, he used to get games or get it through, um, through his magazine editor and he would, yeah, play the game and write about it. Wow. That's so crazy. Story, right. Yeah. And yeah. then on that, that company, which people don't know as well is, um, is in that same building because it was like a distributor model and the other side of the building, as you imagine, it kind of makes sense. Like there was Casio would, Casio was in there. So Casio G-Shock yep. uh, pianos. And that actually is how we got involved with Nintendo because it was out of Japan. So it was more of a, that's how the first kind of trajectory was. Oh, we do all this like Casio stuff. Oh, do you guys want to do like the Nintendo? Like that was kind of how it started when I got into it way back before discs started. That's interesting because I've never thought that Nintendo's had much of a, a big presence in New Zealand. I no, it, it was just Sony, a console Sony, launch. Sony land, you know? Yeah, it was just a console. Like, it was like, you're going to go sell a console, and then it became selling a video game discs. And that's what people forget. But in that journey, obviously under that same roof was um, G-Shock. And then, of course, Dave ended up being the front guy for G-Shock through the, the peripheral kind of – lens as he went through and became the face of g-shock and all that those campaigns shocked the world and that was all out of that same same building i was in that building at the same time and that was yeah so it's just kind of like that kind of world kind of collided um under the same roof of day so, so when you dealt with nintendo were you speaking to people from nintendo of japan or were you speak yes to... japan so how how would that work would you have to use a translator yeah, so the, well, we just like this, that, that, you know that they do business up there. Interestingly, and so if you strip back that it was Nintendo or Casio, or whatever, when you do business in Japan, as you know, you know we had the distribution rights for the region to deliver Casio watches and pianos and whatever. And then on the flip side, the Nintendo came, you know, as part of that, like a like another conversation. So of course, yeah, someone they speak quite good English, but it's very formal over there, right? You must give them a card. You know, you give with two hands, like they will give you their card back. You must engage at a certain level and they don't want to deal with certain levels, right? Like if you're not the CEO or you're not the CMO or whatever, they just, that's the way that their culture works over there. So, um, but ultimately once you're into the relationship and you deliver, then yeah, it's quite a, yeah, they, they, they'll have someone over there that can speak English and kind of deliver. But that was, yeah, that was like the first kind of way until Nintendo opened up. Um, Cause I'm going way back, right? Like this is, like this is before almost subsidiaries opened up in the region. Like they didn't have a Ubisoft office, a Nintendo office, a, you know, those things weren't the case. And that's how far back I went. Like when I was in there as like a young dude kind of just that's, getting into it. That's early 2000s, isn't it? Yeah. I'm thinking of the GameCube early 2000s. Early 2000s. And that was what it was. And, and um, you know, there was like stories of like, I mean, I don't know how much I need to put my foot on this one, but it's like, there was no like social media and the advent of like this downloadable content was just like, none of that was a thing. Like you'd go get a disc and it was like 60,000 people lining up to get the latest final fantasy or call of duty. Right. That was what it was. And so the way it would work is, and under the roof and my first job in gaming was obviously in the marketing PR realm. They would, they would like, 
be so spooked on the reviewers and the people seeing it across the globe because it would bring down the overall delivery of that game, right? So again, like no Metacritic media. and things like that. So, uh, yeah, right. So yeah. and they just look at Rotten Tomatoes and they like all these scores. And in New Zealand, game plan was a big thing. And so what they do is they'd give me a game. Let's just take a game. I don't know, like Assassin's Creed, okay? okay. And they'd go, all right. We're going to launch Assassin's Creed. Now, we'd see that game 18 months before it was launching. So they'd tell us the storyline and this is how it is and the marketing plan is going to be X and Y. And you go, cool. And then you kind of pivot it to make sure it works for New Zealand. But one of the ways it would work is that you would do hands-off demos, right? So I'd meet you and I'd go, hey, you know, how's it? Like, you're here to look at the game. And I would be the one playing the level of the game. But I had been sent over to Sydney to learn to play that level and they'd give it to me as code with a special code box and I'd take it home and I'd learn to play that one level of Assassin's Creed like to perfection like you've got to jump up you know you've got to jump into the haystack you've got to you know roll out you've got to walk up to talk to this person like it was like set okay and so I'd be so nerve-wracking right because you'll be sitting there going and you're not allowed to touch it it's like and that would happen all the way around the world like I was just one of those people who would do it. And in some cases in, in some cases we would have like, um, you know, a media night where you'd bring in like 30 people to watch me demo it on a big screen at, at like Hoyts or whatever. Yeah. And you're behind there going, Hey guys, okay. It's Assassin's Creed, you know? And, um, and then, and then of course the next journey would be next time you saw me in three months, I would let you play hands on. Right. So you would write about, Hey, I got to look at it for assassins. It looks really slick and da 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 da. So I couldn't muck it up. Cause I mucked it up. You'd write, yeah, it looked a bit clunky. Cause like the guy got stuck in the like haystack and just <laughs> so it's like, and Ubisoft would be real precious. Like do not F this up, you know, behind the scenes, you know, and then nice people, but maybe not that language. And then I would come back to, to you the next three months and be like, cool. Now it's your turn to play and would let you play at like a level. And then you'd write about, Oh, I got hands on. It was really dope, you know? And then of course, E3 would come around and everyone would be at E3 and then it was like, you know, now it's all on. But we'd, so that was the journey over kind of like a 12, 12 month cycle. And that's kind of what I learned to kind of how, how secretive that industry was. And, oh. and, um, and of course we didn't have social media back then. So it was just really driven on you making sure you got a good review. Cause if you wrote a bad one over here in New Zealand, that could bring down, you know, the stuff around the world because of the Metacritic and the, and the rating of the game. Yeah. Yeah. So is it, I would imagine it's similar across all publishers in terms of how they do that marketing in terms yeah, of, yeah, it was, it was just a, yeah, it was sort of like generally a standard, like that was how everyone was like it was because, you know, now the E3 is almost not a thing anymore because you can stream it and everyone can watch it and you can do whatever. But, but back then it was, that was the sort of thing. Like, and that wasn't just one publisher. Like I, we work with, like a lot, five or six publishers and give or take. That was the, the way, you know, like that was just how it was. And you'd want to make sure that the reviewers did good. And E3 was a big deal. Um, and then you'd sell stuff. And then, you know, that was how, and then obviously people would go out and pre-order and 50,000 copies of Call of Duty in the heyday, 60,000 of Final Fantasy in New Zealand. I remember being around those numbers back in the, 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 the heyday of discs. And that was how it worked. Yeah. It must have got monotonous though. Like say you'd probably not want to play Assassin's Creed by the time it released. Yeah. And that's why I said, <laughs> no, seriously, right? This is what I say to people all the time. Everyone's like, cause they might see me talking about gaming on the news or like they come to me. And the first thing is, it's like, are you like a gamer? That's why I'm always really open about. No, I came from that side. My lens is totally different. I'm never like Dave and that are like, those dudes are gamers and they're good players, you know, and I never ever say that I'm some sort of something I'm not. Um, but you're right. The reason I don't play video games is because by the time Assassin's Creed came out, I already knew 
every single level, every review, like, you know, like I'd traveled to E3 and done it in Armageddon and whatever. And the last thing I wanted to do at that point in time was actually pick up the game and play it from start to finish. So yes, it just scarred enough. me. It scarred me for life. I think my favorite game still to this day is a game called Scribblenauts. I'm not sure if you know Scribblenauts. You had a writer. It's just yeah, the, that's a DS you know, game, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. And people don't really remember, but it was it's still my favorite game for that reason. It was just like pick up and play. It was super clever, and you just used to write in a title like to solve the puzzle, like Tyrannosaurus Rex with wings, and it would turn up on the screen and help you fly across the lake or whatever. Yeah, and yeah, so, yeah. But anyway, but that's why I just don't um, don't play games. So I love I love the um, which sounds bizarre because I'm in it at a certain level too, you know. But I love what I love about it is I love the industry as a whole for these reasons i think mm. it's so vibrant i think it pushes the envelope i love the youth movement in it i love the community environment and i love the platforms and the games and so that's what i love about the gaming as an overall ecosystem rather than being like some dude who like wakes up and is like man i've got to get my hands on the next like you know playstation 5 or whatever yeah well i'd imagine a lot of the business people or people on the business side of gaming probably don't get that much time to play games i mean if you think of the traditional game let's say like an rpg or something you could easily spend 70 to 100 hours (laughs) on one game right i mean I, i i don't get to play video games that much these days i kind of just play games that are pick up and play you can play it and then put it down like if it's any type of story driven game if i try and invest the time in it and then i can't play it for like three or four weeks and I come back to it. I'm like, wait a minute, what the hell's the story again? I don't even remember yeah. how to play this game. Uh, so I, I mean, do you get to play any games at all now or are you just totally focused on the business side? Nah, business like, for me, I mean, look, I've got, like, like I'm around it all day. You know what I mean? Like, so, I mean, you know, we have a beautiful studio that's state of the art, one of the best in the region. You know, it has 15 custom, you know, gaming machines and playstations and you know we'll get the new p5 i'm sure um you know with our friends at sony so the idea is like we're, i'm surrounded by it right and so um and my, i've got you know my son who's at a gaming age you know he's 12 so he jams like all games 2k and madden and uh, fortnite so look i'll uh, because of that like i'll jump on the odd stream you know so i played recently i played i was on a stream sort of like this with david seymour and the blues and we we're playing overcooked and some fortnite and some crash or you know i was at home with my son the other night and we had a drop on Fortnite, so that's kind of the level right whereas rather than so it's probably like 10 percent of like of being a you know a gamer and even five percent and 95 percent is business right like it's it becomes about like any other business the business of gaming rather than playing so so very limited for me yeah so on a day-to-day basis what would you actually do like is in the business of of lpl yeah, so, yeah yeah so lpl so you go to work you go to the studio, what what do you do while you're there? Yeah, so so you think about like, so we're a 360 media company, right? So yep. we're basically, um, the best way to look at us in a traditional sense for people not in esports would be like, we have a studio like Sky or MediaWorks. So we're actually a studio that makes stuff. Mm. And then we're also a league operator like traditional sports. So they call us the NRL and Sky Sport put together. Yeah. So we've got to basically fundamentally create our own leagues, but we're also our own broadcaster that makes all of that content. So um, primarily we have a platform which allows people to come in and play all these games. And then we take those players and put them into a tournament structure and then we wrap it into a broadcast. So for us day to day, we've got to work and we have half the team that are ex-production people. I say ex, they're still producing, but I'm talking traditional. So, you know, 
Maori Television, TVNZ, Sky, they're, they're used to making content, cameras, earpieces, you know, proper production run sheets because we are delivering at that level and we're delivering um, to linear broadcasters across the region from Fiji TV, Channel 7, Sky, and that's a level, you know, like live TV is a level of work and we have to do everything from, you know, the scripts to, um, you know, the game servers to the presenters to how they look to the in-ear pieces and then actually delivering it. So there's the art of like really understanding production and doing that. And then the other side is business. So that's your sales and marketing, promoting. We've got partnerships with staff, with Vodafone, work with NRL, for example. So there's the business of it. So my day-to-day is really you know, as a CEO is really to come in and um, make sure the team's all good, you know, on each of their respective areas and just make sure we're moving forward in a, in a meaningful way. And we have commercial responsibilities to big partners, you know, if it's Vodafone, they're going to want X, Y, and Z. We've got a commitment to players and teams that are signed up right through to broadcasters who make sure that seven o'clock you are live, you know what I mean? So, yeah. so it's, it's a wide spectrum. That's why. So, um, and so for me now, a lot of that operational stuff is, is given to the team, which, you know, over, over five or six years is really hands-on for me. And now it's about, because esports has grown, it's really about the strategic direction of how do we take LPL to a global presence? How do we work with those big strategic partners? And, and they are big, you know, when you're talking with the likes of Fox Sport in Australia or you're talking with the NRL, they, these are billion-dollar entities, you know, so you've got to be able to have time to kind of work with them and at a strategic level um, or publishers themselves are also billion dollar companies now come to us and say, we'd like you to do X, Y, and Z. And we've got to work through that. So that's kind of what my day to day is. So it's always, uh, it's always varied and, um, <laughs> and it's, it's to say the least. That's um, good though. It never gets boring. Never, ever gets boring, man. You know, and I think what, what I guess is, Really cool, um, which I like just as someone who's in the industry and started, I guess, from the very bottom and worked through is, is you know, th- these conversations five years ago were just really tough. You know, people just laughed at you. You know, you go in and I think that's one thing that people don't realize. It's all good now to sit there and you got your big decals around Sky City and you're on and you're on Channel 7 or whatever. That wasn't the case, even though I told that story of how we got on there. I'd walk into an agency or try to get some sponsorship money and people would just laugh you out. Like you what? You want, you want us to pay you money to watch what? Like people game against each other and people want to watch that. Like that was what the, it was like, you know, it was really disheartening. It felt like, um, you know, and I've done some of that way back in the day, you know, like knocking on doors and selling stuff, right? Like, you know, when you're like literally, Hey, you know, talking about selling power or something, it was just so, so troubling, but I'd never got wavered because I could see the future. And that's, what I said is that was the early days. I can sit here now and say, Oh, you, you got it pretty good. You know, you got all these cool things going on. But in the early days with only myself and very few others out of a cafe before we had the, the studio and all those things. It was literally door to door, hand to hand combat walking in there and talking to you. And you're like, yeah, yeah. Like that's not a thing, man. Like that is not gaming is not a sport. Gaming is not a broadcast. Gaming is for geeks. Gaming is whatever, whatever. And it was all negative. 95% of it was negative. And so I just happy that you sit here today and it's like for what it is, which is exciting, heaps of cool things to do. Um, but it wasn't always the way. I think a lot of the youth understand it, but I think it's older heads that don't quite get it. I mean, I remember yeah. even talking to Rob Campbell just recently. I mean, he he's a great guy because he's he's very self-aware. Yeah. And he even said he was like, I don't get it. Why would you watch someone else play video games? And then someone's rebuttal was like, well, do you go to a rugby game and watch someone play rugby? 
you know. Yeah. He's and, like, and oh, was- yeah, true. And, and that's it. So that's the thing with Rob, and he's very astute. I mean, and fair credit to Rob. I mean, those, he's the chairman of um, Sky City, and they took a punt on us and invested. And like I said, that he was one of the ones as a collective who were like, I see the vision. I don't get it personally, but I know that it's a thing, and I know that the youth get it. I know that it's a really good initiative for an entertainment business to push forward to the younger market. So he's very astute in seeing what I think, you know, some people didn't see early on. And like you said, he, he goes, you know, he's a believer in the concept of it and he may not get it for the purest reasons, but he gets it for the real, um, the reasons that a lot of other um, companies around the world get it, which is it's, you know, it's a real thing. It's massive um, in the youth population and it's not going anywhere. Yeah. That's actually a good segue into how the collaboration with Sky City happened. Did you have to go in and pitch it to them? Uh, yeah, I mean, fundamentally, um, in the early days, and um, you know, a business partner and I, which is um, John, we we were doing it because of that original bit, right? Like, you know, when I told you the story, it was like I'm doing action sports, and then it was okay, we've done this gaming thing, but to turn that into a company, that's a big shift, and you know, you got to go home to your wife and say you know how we're doing that? Well, actually I'm now leaving and I'm going to try to create a gaming company. Like, you know, that's so foreign <laughs> even back then. Right. She's like, what are you thinking? And so, um, and so we did, we went on that journey, um, which was hand to mouth, um, you know, which is, we're just going to, try to do it, do these events. And we partnered with sort of radio stations to grow our awareness, partnered with Sky City to deliver the event live. And, um, and they were a partner. And then we, yeah, fundamentally pitched it to them saying, look, we need investment. And of course, eSport, our presence started going up slightly. Some people started taking notice because they're on TV or Dwan was on the news talking or whatever. And they were like, that's really interesting. And yeah, it was literally a pitch job to say, look, we think that, this is going to be the future and, and you know, we, we need some support and we think you'd be a great strategic partner. And, and that's how really what it was about. And they came in and said, cool, like we would like to do that. And this is what we can offer you in return, which is a premise and iconic sky tower. And we've got great facilities and, and that partnership has been going strong for over four years. So you know how you have partners like Vodafone, obviously sky city is backing you. That gives you guys a lot more leverage, I'd say. So, would you theoretically, or, or do you actually, do you go to politicians and be like, hey, there needs to be more investment into gaming, into the tech side, into game development, into esports? Because, I mean, I'm going to try and get some politicians on here after the election because right now it's just a cesspool. Yeah. But um, it's something that I think, as you mentioned earlier, that uh, probably doesn't get enough funding, which it should yeah, so so um, I'm a founding board member of the New Zealand Esport Federation. That was sort of the, you know, the, the, I'd say the, the kind of regulation kind of bit, and that's another story. But certainly part of that was that there was no regulatory body of esports in New Zealand five years ago. Right. And in March, it got recognised as the, the NSO. So that's the National Sporting Organisation. Um, and that's that journey again is another journey of why it's a sport, not a sport. That's just a framework New Zealand created, but we got recognition. So now the NZESF is recognized as an NSO. And so by default, you call it what you will, esports is recognized under the government framework, right? Mm-hmm. Now that only happened this year. That's historic in Western markets because actually we now fit into the same, we sit at the same table as rugby and cricket. So to your point, 
yeah, through those two hats, I'm 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 in the media a lot, um, and you'll see me on you know the news talking about it's going to be an Olympic um, sport. And yeah. you're right, I, I call out a lot of people, not not specifically you know, Jacinda and Labour or, or Jonky and and, um, and National or whoever, you know, J- Judith and the new government. I talk about this. They ask me questions and I'll always be as honest as I can. Like you said is, man, you're spending so much in the film sector, you know, and you've got a great system around supporting 40% rebates back to, you know, people who want to, inv- you know, bring productions down there. We've got Avatar here. Lord of the Rings is getting filmed here. There's a project I'm working on as a side to gaming, which involves the film, um, you know, film commission absolutely set up to help that. Now the biggest entertainment sector in the world is esports and gaming. So yeah. how, how, how can we be so forth that way and not want to invest and working with um, the game developers association, we're, we're all championing the same bit, right? Like it's just, what are you up to now? It's just to me is one of those, those balls where, um, politicians are scared, right? They don't want to be seen as old school, new school. Yeah, but also I think, I mean, let's be real here. Most politicians are a lot older than us, right? They grew yeah. up in a different time, so they might not necessarily understand it. So yeah. I'd imagine it might be hard for them to get behind something when they don't understand it. I mean, not everyone is like Rob, right? So. Oh. No, that's right, and that's and that's the bit. And, and what happened, you know, like we were we were making um, progress under the last government, as in they were like they had some, you know, some of their senior ministers and broadcast and communication technology going. I really like this, you know. And now, obviously, you know, you have to start again with the Labor government. It may change or not change. And you're right; it's just about finding. And and because I say that in respect to who's actually championing it is it is it education because obviously it's important for schools and the way that it's growing is it sport is it technology or is it broadcast and i think there's an overlapping not only is there a kind of a a personnel piece like you said is they don't understand it maybe a little bit um um, older but equally where does it actually sit right like actually if you had to have a minister right now hand on heart and say Who's actually looking after us? Like, where would we actually fit? And I think that's problematic too for them. Is like, they're not sure where we actually sit, and that also doesn't help us really target that one person to go. We need, you know, we need you to help us. Yeah, and I think some people are just all about tradition as well. It's it, you mentioned before about uh, the Olympics and esports. I actually had uh, Professor Holly Thorpe on here last year, who's actually on the International Olympic Committee, and she she mentioned that. Uh, the Olympics may look at introducing esports into the Olympics because um, the Olympics is basically declining in viewership. That's because right. Because it's, it's, it's traditionally the old guard that still watch that traditional form of media, whereas the new school don't consume, they, they don't go on television and watch stuff. It's all about streaming and, and so forth. And I've gotten into arguments with people in my own age bracket about esports and how it's not a sport. They're like, no, no, it's not a sport. And I'm thinking, man, it's because you're still stuck in that frame of mind. But like, it's 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 apparent that it will be. I mean, it's 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 the future. I mean, I, I how much? It's a multi-billion-dollar industry now. Oh, absolutely, and so way more than film. Way, way more, more. way more. So it's it's the biggest, it's truly the biggest entertainment. Way more. I mean, it's. I think I saw a stat. Um, it's like. Yeah, film, music, and then gaming. It's just way, like is in 10 times bigger. So it's huge. But you're right. I mean, that whole Olympic bit is, you know, and there's some purists that will come on and talk to you from a gaming. It's like, it's not a sport. It shouldn't be an Olympics. 
look, I'm the first to say gaming has its place and gamers don't care and they don't need the Olympics. But to your point, what, what is clearly a, was clear to me is the Olympics needs esports, and it's such a large commercial, large-reached, um, you know, endeavor and broadcast property that it has to have it. And so, for that reason, it'll make it happen because, like you said, is it's in freefall and decline. Like no one's watching it. Um, you know, it's it, at a, at a younger demographic. Hence, why they tried to get surfing and skateboarding in the Olympics to change it. Um, but esports is to them seen as somewhat of a solution rightly or wrongly and it's just about ticking some boxes and so i've said openly and you know i'll say here is you know don't quote me in whether i think or don't think it should or shouldn't be that's a different conversation it's will it be and the answer is yes it will be for what you said is because the olympics needs that younger demographic it's inevitable it's it's going to it's happen. inevitable so yeah. you must you must have to stay up with whatever's going on in gaming right Yes. So obviously stuff like this big massive bomb with Microsoft purchasing Bethesda, uh, which says to me that, you know, they're primarily investing in Game Pass. That seems to be the reason for doing it, right? So yep. in terms of how gaming is going to evolve, because I'd imagine at some stage it's going to move to the streaming platform similar to it's gonna like netflix is you now. call it yeah the, the the netflix of gaming yeah is yeah is a term that some people use right that's and that's right so it, i actually got asked about this the other day yeah so i'm up like obviously that's the bit that really interests me and fascinates me now you know that's level is like is that but i love i love seeing what's happening you know um and of course to me it's quite clear i mean there's a couple of there was a couple of battles that are going on right one is about the 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 content delivery battle, you know, when we saw Mixer and Microsoft obviously not make inroads with, you know, Twitch being the big one, YouTube gaming and Facebook gaming. So Mixer, and this is Microsoft, entered a space that wasn't theirs and Mixer failed. And then they've partnered with a Facebook gaming to have some, you know, road in there. That's a big deal. Like that is a massive deal, right? What they did there. And then to your point is why would they want to buy uh, you know, 7.5 billion to buy um, ZeniMax. And that's because they realized that it's all about cloud. It's about buying studios and about offering cloud into the future. And my belief is that, look, there may be a PlayStation 6 and there may be an Xbox XX, but the reality is it won't be what it is now. And this is the last true console launch, in my opinion, for that reason. You'll have Stadia, you'll have, um, you know, all these cloud-based solutions where internet will because remember, they're four or five-year cycles to get a console. So in five years, we're going to be sitting at 8G or something. Um, mobile gaming already with 5G is meant to be as, you know 10 times faster than a PC today on your mobile. So, of course, you're going to have that ability. So no one's going to sit back and go, I need a box in my house. They're going to want to game anywhere, anytime at the highest levels. And so that was really what that Microsoft acquisition was about was actually buying content not only for today but studios that can make content into the future and once they lock it off to their platform then it's like the netflix or disney um or hbo where you're paying a subscription to get what you want yeah so in terms of how lpl studios will adapt to that model i mean you guys must be having conversations about it internally just about what road you can possibly go down in the future yeah, look, for us, um, you know, we see it as that we're kind of one arm removed from from that, right? We will deliver – if you make your own content, put it this way, if you make your own content and you are your own league provider, which we are, um, and we control the league um, that we control, which is we'll go do a deal with a publisher 
and we'll get the rights to do like we don't do anything without the rights so we go and go we want the rights to see us go and so they give us the rights to that game and then we can put on our own tournament so we're only as good as what we can offer the players in that tournament and we're then only as good as and then at that point we've got this really strong league we can you know, produce it at a high level. Um, it doesn't matter what's happening on who's playing because those games will come and go. Just insert new game, insert new game, insert new game. And that will that will keep changing. But what we think is the future is that, you know, for us, those wars will keep happening and we need to be strong enough, to, much like the TV war, right? Like if you're the NRL, my belief is that you're going to choose or, or pub, uh, broadcasters are going to come to you and say, I'm channel seven, I'm channel 10 or the all blacks, right? They're going to go spark sports sky. We need your content. So for yeah. us, we're kind of, I think one arm removed. We think that if we have really strong leagues and people go, man, LPL is just awesome. They're the best pro teams in the region. We've got to be there. Um, then as these, platforms develop whether it's twitch today which we were a partner with and then it becomes mixer or facebook gaming or whatever the future is um we're kind of removed from it because we can choose where we put our content and that's the key for us otherwise you'll never win the battle yeah for sure so what's the biggest games that people play via lpl i imagine Uh, fortnite has got to be up there so Fortnite's big, but Fortnite's not that competitive. So we've done competitive-ish stuff that we said about with um, music and with All Blacks and the like, but it's not really seen as a true competitive game, um, although they have big tournaments. The big games are still um, CSGO. That's the big one in our region. That's really? like Still? Yeah, still. So, and, and look at the numbers that I have um, across other providers and us. We have a super, super strong CSGO region. And so a lot of our teams are really stable. They're really well recognized. I think, you know, one of our uh, big teams just got acquired by one of the most famous brands in the world from our region, right? They picked up the whole roster. So we're really, um, um, you know, in that, in that killer fish, but it's still huge. So we have, um, I think in our pro division this year, we have of the top uh, 15 teams, we might have the 13 of the 15 teams in our league. And a lot of that also has to do with, um, you know, people don't want to hear about or talk about it. The reason CSGO is still such a strong game is obviously the establishment long-term play, but equally the wagering that sits around CSGO because people can wager on that sport on, on CSGO. Oh, right. I see. So people play so, bets. Yes. Traditional oh. bets like you would for sport. And so, and not all, not all um, esports allow that because a publisher won't allow that, but Valve allows wagering on CSGO across the globe. And so there's this undercurrent. And people might not like what I'm saying there, but if you look at sport, there's two revenue streams that prop sport. One of them is, um, uh, one of them is broadcast rights and the other is wagering. That's how sport is built. And we saw COVID impacting that. Of course, merchandise and all the rest come later. But actually, CSGO and, um, and Dota are really strongly provided in that, in that underpin across the globe. And that's always been the case. And so that's why a lot of people still like it because you can still have a punt on the teams. Ah, oh, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, makes, it actually makes perfect sense now that you, you mention it. I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and a lot of people don't want to hear that, right? Like they're like, oh, that's bad. And look, that's again, another conversation for another day on where ethically you sit on the conversation around wagering into esports. But the reality is 
forget what I'm saying or who I'm involved with. The reality is that's happening around the world. And it's already that some estimates are saying it's five, maybe up to 10 times larger than esports as an actual business in its own right. And so you, you can't take away from the fact that particularly CSGO being one of those. So that's what I'm saying is this really strong region, a lot of pl- good, good players in this region. And of course, underpinning all that is the fact that, you know, there's this kind of this element where it, it gives you reach across the globe because Russia is a big uh, CSGO wagered area. The US, people want to sort of have a punt on their favorite teams. And that gives you notoriety and reach and those types of things, which you can only get through that that ventricle. Yeah. Oh, that's so awesome. That's amazing. Yeah. Right? Is, Crazy, there, is, right? There, is there any particular publishers, though, that would be anti, anti the waging? Almost. Yeah, almost all of it. So, like, for example, Fortnite won't allow it, um, you know, um, and, you know, obviously that's Epic or, you know, right the way through to Tencent. So a lot of the publishers don't want it to be anywhere near them. Um, is, that, and so, is, that, is that due to a lot of the young player base? You well, know, they I don't want it, them to – well, I imagine they wouldn't want them to develop a gambling habit, I suppose. You know, they don't want to teach. But then there's a lot of microtransactions and – all that stuff that kind of ties into it anyway. So, look, I think it's ethical in, in a lot of senses, right? Like, do you want to be involved? They're making a lot of money in their own right in their games, right? So, one of the big things for me, right, is that I think um, so, publishers, it's ethical, but equally, what I think's happened to publishing across the way is like, if you think about that journey that I was on and I told you, this was about selling the console first and then selling games as a disc. Then, it became esports became the business of entertainment and the content. So all of a sudden, publishers are now pivoting into what I'd say is a sports realm or and a broadcast realm. That wasn't what that was meant to be. Mm. You know what I mean? Like so it's very different business models. Like if you're a sport, you know that you create tournaments, you sell broadcast rights, wagering is part of that journey, you have ticketing, you have events, that's a sport model, right? That's how sport has been built. Yeah. yeah. If you're a publisher, that wasn't what you got into. You built a game. I want to take you on a virtual journey. I sell you a Assassin's Creed for $100. Maybe you got the T-shirt because you bought the collector's edition and you sit in your world and do that, right? Now, if you look at like, you know, you think about that, you go, and that, and that's where I feel that this, this crossover happens. So I think a lot of publishers are like, we don't get it enough. So there's ethical, we're scared of the youth, we're scared of what that means for our brands and, and how do they control that? Like, and so it's just a different kind of mindset that, that a lot of, some of the publishers don't want to be involved with yet. But my belief in the, is that, you know, look, not everyone, but the, it'll be more prominent than it will be the other way around. At the moment, it's the other way around. There's only certain publishers that allow it but it's going to come. Well, I imagine it'll be like the Olympics thing, right? It's inevitable. It's something that will happen. It's not not if it will happen, it's when it will happen. And everyone's just sitting back and letting it, the world unfold, right? Like they're kind of letting it happen. Because I guess if I'm there, I'd be doing the same. I'd like, let's not jump in early and, and get in trouble here. Let's just see how it evolves. Let's see who the players are, both at a global level. And so, yeah, so it's really, it's really an interesting space to watch um, on many, many fronts, but certainly, um, it's a thing and, um, and, it, and it's not new. It's been going for a, a long time and some games are just, um, you know, heavily involved in it and some of them are heavily anti it. Yeah, but that will change. It will definitely change. It's just yeah. the nature. It's the nature of the beast. It's probably due to social media because you know how there's a lot of uh, keyboard warriors and they jump on anything and people get offended by everything these days. So people are a lot more sure. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and, then, you know, and, and that's it, right? And then and you see a lot of, you know, we got a lot of that feedback, you know, from, um, you know, people, um, certain people going, man, it's so bad that, you know, there's now wagering allowed. Um, but the reality is, it's sort of inevitable. What I'd say is that like sports bolted a certain way for many, many years. What we want to try to do, I think, as a collective is, it's like all those things I say about, um, you know, you want to make sure that your kids aren't behind the garden shed just drinking alcohol, right? You want to make sure you can at least know what they're drinking, right? Because if it's a thing, you you got to, I'm all for like, let's see what it looks like. Let's make sure we put the right parameters around it because it's a thing. It's not like we're creating gaming, you know, like, waging for the first time I say we being the industry of esports it's like it's already happened in sport that's you know years old and the argument is really a personal argument rather than will it come and so but also you know the upside to it is that there is new revenue streams involved in that and of course larger audiences and reach which will come with that yeah so that's the pro to it amazing amazing I think that's a good place to wrap up yeah man. Um, thanks so much for this man I you have to give me the tour of the studio at some point, eh? <laughs> I love yeah, like when you come up, it's really cool. I mean, for those that don't know, yeah, we were lucky when we parted with Sky City. So when you look up at the Sky Tower, um, just pop your head up and you'll actually see our branding there. But it's actually the glass cubes um, that are level seven. So you can't like sort of put your hand up there, but if you're standing outside the Sky Tower and you look up where the where the glass boxes that surround it, and within that those glass boxes LPR Studios is. So it's a private facility with the best equipment, um, both from a player and a broadcast perspective, um, you know, in the region. And yeah, like that's where we are. So um, yeah, for you to come up, absolutely, man. I'd, yeah. I'd love to, uh, I, I'll repay the favor for letting you, letting me come on here and, and no, talk all good. my stories. So thank you so much, man. That's all right. Hey, I, I, I love this sort of stuff and uh, I always like networking and, and meeting gaming people specifically because it's something I was hugely into as a as a kid, and I don't really get the time to really embrace it. I'm mm. still pretty up with the play when it comes to gaming stuff, but I'm not as immersed in it as I used to be. So it's always great when I talk to gaming people. Cause... Right. Well, before I let you go then, is if you're up to the play um, for your fans out there listening, are you a P5 guy or are you going to be an Xbox guy? I don't know, man. Like I'm probably, I'm leaning towards more Xbox just because of Game Pass, but I'm not too sure yet. I mean, I don't even have a, I borrowed my friend's PS4 for a while. I've actually just got a Switch at the moment, um, which was which was really handy because I was just, I actually just got out of hospital a couple of weeks ago and that was amazing to have that thing while I was in yeah. hospital. Um, but yeah, I'm probably probably going to be more of an Xbox guy at this stage. I think the Bethesda thing really kind of like, oh, okay, these guys are looking towards the future, but I cannot say for sure. I mean, it's amazing how cheap these things are, specifically the, the digital editions. Um, but I'm looking, I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes, eh? Because it's, right, it's going yeah, to be an interesting generation for sure. It is, man. It is. Well, okay. Well, let, let's see when they come out what they look like, right? But yeah, I'll, I'll leave you to, uh, yeah, get back into it. But thank you yeah, so yeah. much for having me on, man. I really appreciate just, it. Just before you go, um, so where can everyone follow uh, LPL? With all yeah, your so I mean, really easy. Um, it's www.letsplay.live. So that's our URL. That's our website. And um, and if you jump on there, if you want to play, 
plenty of tournaments you to get started in esports and have a go and see whether you can progress all the way up. If you're not, you know, you want to kind of keep private and, and don't think you've got it from that level, then tune in, go through that website and we're, we're broadcasting um, up to five nights a week with the best players in the region, which is really good content. So um, yeah, let's play dot live. Dwan, this has been awesome, man. Yeah. Thank you so really, much. Really man. Appreciate I appreciate it. it. Yeah, you cool. too. All right, that's the show, everyone. Make sure you share, like, and subscribe. And until next time, stay safe.